0: Children are dismissed back to Praise Factory, and uh, if you knew about this in advance, if you were looking and searching for coffee, the coffee is ready, so feel free to go and grab yourself a cup if you need it. If you walked in and it was unplugged, somebody was assigned to do this, by the way, Uh, and I can speak from personal experience that he completely forgot to plug in the coffee this morning, so... just so that you know. We're going to read from uh, Colossians chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to read the first five verses. We're going to pray, and we'll, we'll spend time uh, breaking down and, and, and understanding the, um, the application of God's word in Colossians chapter 4. Uh, starting in, in verse 2, rather, of Colossians chapter 4, Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you now and we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to understand the scriptures. We pray that that we would be filled with knowledge, Lord, not just a knowledge that puffs up, as the scriptures would say, but a knowledge that instructs, a knowledge that corrects and that that inclines our heart toward you. That as we hear and know the word, that it would cause us to increase our love and dedication to you. And that, that love and dedication would be reflected, Lord, in thanksgiving, in prayer, that it would be reflected in love for all people, Lord, people who know you and people who don't. We pray also that, that our knowledge of you and our knowledge of your grace would lead us to live lives that are characterized by great care and by a dependence on your knowledge, your will, your way, Lord, which is found only in your word. And so we pray, Lord, that our lives would increasingly look more and more like your sons and that we would grow in grace and holiness. Lord, we pray this knowing that you're good, in Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm. So, back in 1968, around uh, March 1st, a man committed himself to a woman. And after saying his vows and looking back at himself, looking at his own life, looking at his patterns, looking at the way that, that he had conducted himself and realizing that he needed to keep it close, right? Keep his his life in order. He was inspired to write these words. He wrote, I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds. Because you're mine, I walk the line. And he said, it just came to him in a moment, knowing and understanding his love for June, his new wife. The man in black, Johnny Cash, said, I need to to walk straight. I need to walk according to the way I'm supposed to, to walk. I find what's so interesting about this, right, is that out of his devotion and care for his wife, right, Uh, Now, lyricists and music historians debate the meaning of this line, but he he references uh, an old hymn called Blessed Be the Tie. Right. Uh, The lyric is uh, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Right. He says here, I keep the ends out for the tie that binds the idea of, of of holding out the rope to her to keep it. Tight, I think, or he's he's holding on to the ends of the rope so that he doesn't tie himself to somebody else. We don't know what the meaning is, really. Uh, and trust me, if you you may want to spend your afternoon this way, if you're not interested in the commercials or the game, you know, and you're like, what does it mean? You can read all the different people arguing over the interpretation of what this verse means. The, the walking the line for, for Johnny Cash becomes extremely specific in the next In the next verse, he says, I find it very, very easy to be true. I find myself alone when each day is through, right? He's alone because he's on tour, right? He's out doing his thing and she's wherever she is. She was a a celebrity in her own right. and, And so she's either at home or on tour. And then he says, yes, I'll admit that I'm a fool for you because you're mine. I walk the line. Paul is, is giving instruction to the Colossians, right? He has, he has dealt with their theological distractions, right? The fact that there were false teachers coming among them saying, you have to obey the law perfectly in order to be saved, or you have to, you have to move on to, to different knowledge and worship angels and know all these religious rituals and facts, or you need to do this or you need to do that. and he's, He has blown all that stuff up. And he's talked about uh, the true change that, that comes when we put our faith and trust in Christ. Not that, not that we, we become religious people who are obsessed with all of these details or supernatural facts. No, what he talks about is that the, the life that is transformed by Christ puts off ungodly behavior and puts on godly behavior and and that we're being renewed and so he then goes and talks about how that looks in the life of the church he talks about the relationships between wives and husbands and children and parents and workers and uh, their bosses and then he is giving final instructions here and he says this in verse five walk in wisdom walk in wisdom i i I think it's so interesting looking at Paul's thinking. The word walk is something that shows up quite a bit in in his writing, particularly at this time. He wrote Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians all close to one another. In Ephesians chapter 1 to 3, right, you have no commands at all. In that that section, the only only command that shows up there is that they remember all the blessings that they received from Christ in salvation. Consider these things. Remember who you are, what your identity is in Christ. And then you get to chapter four. And in verse one, Paul says this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of, of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For, for, for Paul, he's concerned that we know who we are, we know where our salvation, and we know where, uh, where life comes from. It comes from Jesus, not from being ultra-religious, not from obeying a bunch of commands. You don't need to know the names of 50,000 angels and understand the supernatural mysteries that, that Paul is, is saying are a distraction in the first couple chapters. You need to know what Christ has done for you, and that ought to result in a certain kind of walk in your life. And so as in, in Ephesians chapter 4 to chapter 6, verse 9, the word walk shows up a bunch of times. We're told to, to walk in wisdom or walk in love or walk as children of light. It's, it's the idea that the Christian life is not only lived very daily, but that it's lived step by step that, that we, we need to consider that we're on a journey and we need to look out for difficulty and conduct ourselves in holiness as an act of devotion that flows from our love for the Lord. I think we can see this in Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul says that he urges the believers to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called, right now nowadays we, we think very much of uh, you can join um, uh, you can join groups easily, right? You know, um, our renewal for uh, AAA just came through, right? Like that's like a secret roadside society that will help you in in times of of trouble, right? You know, I got my little card AAA, I got my AAA number, supposedly, I, you know. I'll I'll be shopping random places or checking into a hotel and I'll say I'm a AAA member and they'll be like oh we'll give you a discount you know and I'm like okay you know give me a, give me a cup of coffee and some other stuff too you know like we're in the same like we're in the same society here. But but a lot of these groups or or or, or things that we're able to enter into right we have to pay to get in them and. We're, we then opt out if the benefits aren't good enough, right? What, what Paul says here is, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. What, what we discover throughout the, the New Testament, we find that there is no way that we can ever put up the, the worth of the calling, right? There's nothing in us that we deserve salvation. There's nothing, there's nothing about us that, that makes us attractive, to the Lord, in which he would save us. It's, it's his love and care for us. It's his affection and attention placed on us that render us worthy of the call, right? I don't know if I've mentioned this recently because I'm, I'm not really sure where I talk about things at times anymore. I think this might just be... Uh, a, a, the the problem of, of getting older. But years ago, I remember reading a comic about um, uh, the Infinity Gauntlet like by this guy called Thanos. And nobody ever knew who this guy was, right? I look at the prices of some comics. Steve is like, yes, I know, right? You know, so a couple years ago, I was looking at the prices of comics, and I have Infinity Gauntlet 1, and it's like worth nothing, right? Why? Because nobody wants it. They make a bunch of Marvel movies. Now, everybody knows who Thanos is and the Infinity Gauntlet. And the worth of the comic rises. Why? Because somebody wants it. That's the way worth works, right? We're worthless until we're wanted by God. But Paul says, because you've been called... Because God has declared you worthy and made you worthy of the calling, walk in a manner worthy of it, which means that that we we need to look at the way that we walk and the way that we conduct ourselves, and it needs to be fueled not by a sense of what we can earn or what we can obtain from the relationship, but instead we say, oh, you love me, and you give this blessing and this benefit to me, I respond in love to you. It has to come from within. And what's, what's important here is, is, is where, as Paul says, walk in wisdom. It's coming at the end of the letter. He's not saying walk in wisdom in order to earn salvation blessings. He says, because of all you've been given from Christ, because of all that he's done for you, because of what he has delivered to you, Live a life of wisdom. Conduct yourself with holiness and act in a way that, that flows from a heart of devotion. That, that, that flows from your love for God. Now, as a person who likes people, I like people. I'm not like a super extrovert. I'm kind of a, an introvert. I kind of cling to the, to the walls and in, in rooms full of people. You know, I don't, I, I'm not like You know, I don't put myself out there, but I like getting to know people. You know, I like having conversations with people. Uh, I like I like, you know, just interacting or having an interesting conversation. But what's amazing here is that what what Paul is saying after he says walk in wisdom, he says walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Right. He's specifically saying we ought to we ought to live wise lives, but we ought to look at how we conduct ourselves with the wider world. And he is Saying that friendliness and relational connection and love are part of our mission as believers. This is great news. That 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 we can care and show compassion and 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 demonstrate uh, the 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 uh, we can we can live a holy life. Not to signal to people like, hey, look at me, I'm holy. But we we live a holy life as we seek to connect and relate to other people. Holiness and devotion to the Lord shouldn't be used to put up a barrier between us and people. I'm a Christian, so I can't talk to you. What what people hear is, I'm a creep and I'm not going to talk to you, right? They don't hear... You know, we we can say, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to demonstrate tremendous care for you. I'm going to give you my time. I'm going to give you my attention. I'm going to try to try to enter in and understand what you're going through and sympathize with you. You know, and try to try to give you good advice and encourage you. In the book of uh, First John, John talks about the fact that our love for God is measured with the yardstick of our love for other people. Right? This is what John says. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. If we're going to take a stock But we're going to take a measurement of our love for God, right? It's it's a comparative measurement, right? It's it's what does your love for people look like? Your love and compassion for others. Let's take a measurement of that, right? You know, so we, we we take that measure, and then we say, oh look, this is your love for God. Now I'm not making that up. That's right there in the Bible. I just read it. Paul says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders and make the best use of the time. The doors of, of God's kingdom are open for other people to come in. We ought not to, to block up the door or to, 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 to impede people from coming to Christ because of our behavior, the way that, that we live. We're to walk wisely. So, what is, what is wisdom? Um, two, two, two thoughts on that. First, um, in the Old Testament, the, the, the people's culture is created through the law, right? You have the first five books of Moses, which, which talk about the legal system. They set up all the religious festivals and uh, family guidelines are given out. Every, all, the, all the structure of society is given in the first five books. And then we've got some history. And by the time that the people have a king and and they're developing into a nation in their own right they're given the wisdom literature because rules don't necessarily give us all the details that we need to 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 go on with life right you know there there's there are rules to follow and then there's the art of living there's there's how we put things into practice each and every day. And so the Psalms talk about our emotions. The book of Job deals with the the, uh, the issue of, of human suffering. Song of Solomon talks about uh, romantic love, which certainly doesn't operate according to a standard set of rules, right? Every guy who's showed up with the same card and the same box of chocolates for the 15th time and not gotten the result that he wants understands that, that it doesn't work according to rules. Ecclesiastes asks the question, what does everything mean? Like, what is the meaning of all this? And Proverbs uh, contains I think they're like they're useful truths in a confusing world right there's 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 the law which is, are, are, is a rigid set of do this and don't do that and then the proverbs are like okay in the middle of that here's how you think about things and figure things out let me give you an illustration of this right um, okay Proverbs wisdom isn't like 100% of the time, right? Proverbs could be like 75% true. Maybe even 50% true, all right? Let me, let me give you a two, two that are 50% true, right? Proverbs 26.4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. So if some foolish person is doing something foolish, you don't necessarily want to jump in and try to fix them or correct them. Why? Because the more energy and time that you invest, people start to look at you and say, what is that guy all worked up about? Like, what a goofball, you know? And so now what's going on? We don't have two people, one a fool and one a wise person. We have two fools fighting with each other, right? And so the, 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 the proverb writer says, no, don't, don't do that. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. You're going to be just like him. Okay, very next verse, Proverbs 26, 5. Answer a fool according to his folly. What? Lest he be wise in his own eyes. Look, you've got this foolish guy here and he's about to do something super foolish and he keeps explaining what he's what he's doing and the way that he's thinking to everybody and everybody's like "Uh, you know like yeah you're right right. yeah okay okay it's true right And, and he's like I'm so smart like you gotta help that guy you gotta say hey fool you're being ridiculous and you gotta help him so that he's like oh my goodness thank you now I think it's I think it's important that the the writers of Proverbs, the people who compiled the book at the end, they put the two of them right next to one another so that we wouldn't think there's contradictions in the Bible, right? They're right next to each other on purpose. So which one is right in the present situation that you're facing? Aha, right? That's wisdom. Wisdom is knowing, do I answer or do I not answer? Know, I used to think. I used to say uh, that the that the answer was whatever your personality is. If you're an introvertish type person who doesn't want to like draw attention, then you should probably be answering fools more often. Or if you're the kind of person who's like bah, 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 like talking all the time, you probably shouldn't answer because the tendency. But I don't. I don't. I don't. Do what you want with that. Now I think what we need to say. Because we're told to walk in wisdom toward outsiders and make the best use of the time. I think the answer is, what does that person really need? What would love do? What, what can I accomplish here in this conversation? Can I, can I help this person? Can I, can I offer them something? Do I know anything about what they're talking about? Do I have any way to, to shift their opinion or to help them? And, and what would God have me do for them? It's motivated and, and, and built from love. Wisdom, wisdom helps us to know what to do and how to conduct ourselves when the rules aren't clear. Maybe when there are no rules written for that particular situation. So we're told to walk in wisdom. We're told to walk in wisdom, especially towards those who are outside. One reason is because our proper conduct, our holy behavior, our, when we live righteously or when we speak wisely or when we act in love, it can affect people's perception of the goodness of God of what believers are like, what we're like, and open the door for, for greater witness. It can influence them positively. Peter draws this out in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses, uh, starting in verse one, where he says, "'Wives, be subject to your own husbands, "'so that even if some don't obey the word, "'they may be won without a word "'by the conduct of their wives, "'when they see your respectful and pure conduct.'" right." Peter's point here is, is is a wife who suddenly finds Jesus going to begin to lecture and harass her husband and teach him that Jesus is the enemy of the peace of his home? Or is she going to support his leadership and encourage him and help him? And of course, we say this saying this doesn't mean follow him into immorality or illegal behavior or anything like that. But but what they what they will say is Jesus is my ally and he makes everything better. I like this guy, what's up with that, you know? Tell me more. Because of respectful and pure conduct. You may find that this, is, that, that, that walking in wisdom will increase your influence among your classmates at school, whether you're in college or, or grade school. You may find at work that, that because you approach certain things reasonably, And and that and that you conduct yourself with wisdom, that people will be willing to listen to you about spiritual things because your outlook on other things is wise. It's not just having the right answer at the right moment, it's being the kind of person that other people think when that guy talks, you remember these commercials? Like, I don't even know what E. F. Hutton did. or or what they were all about. But I'm pretty sure this was a Super Bowl commercial. Uh, The way it went with... Uh, for, for you youngins here, you know, back in the days when color TV was new, I'm kidding. Uh, it was, it was, it was, it was back, in the, back in the 80s, there were these commercials, and you know, it would be a kid in school, and the teacher would be making the kid recite his alphabet, he'd say A, B, C, D, E, 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 and he'd get stuck, and then he'd say E.F. Hutton, and everybody in the class would like lean forward and listen, and then they would say, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. You remember this? Yeah, right? Yeah. And then there were like a couple of variations of it. And it was like, it's old. Get rid of it. Forget it. And then maybe they like went bankrupt or something. I don't know where they are now. I haven't heard from E.F. Hutton since the 80s. I hope he's okay. When when the opening is there to share the word and, and you introduce... The gospel of grace, or when you say, I think we ought to do this, or this seems like the right answer to that, are you the kind of person who people are like, oh, he's talking again? <laughs> or are you the kind of person who's like, we ought to listen to her. Like, she has wise things to say. I'm going to, you know, maybe they don't accept or, or, or put into action every single thing that you suggest. But be the kind of person... who who lives life in such a way that that your, your conduct supports your words. It's interesting that Jesus gives the world the right to make judgments concerning the truth according to our conduct. Francis Schaeffer says this, The world has a right to look upon us and make a judgment. We're told by Jesus that as we love one another, the world will judge. Right? John 13, 35. This is the evidence that someone's a disciple, that a group of people are disciples, or that a church is a church. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Conduct is evidence of discipleship. And so Paul says, walk wisely. But listen to what Francis Schaeffer goes on to say. He says, we're told by Jesus that as we love one another, the world will judge not only whether we are his disciples, but whether the father has sent the son. Jesus gives the world this right. Look at what he says in John seventeen twenty. I do not ask, he's praying in John 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Okay, we're coming up on it here. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The conduct of Christians gives the world the right to judge whether or not the Father has sent the Son. Wow, that's intense. Shaver goes on and says, the final, this is the final apologetic. Along with the rational, logical defense and presentation of the gospel, what the world sees in the individual Christian and in our corporate relationships allows them to determine... Who we are and who he is. The command that we should love one another surely means something much richer than merely organizational relationship. Not that we should minimize proper organizational relationship, but one may look at those bound together in an organized group called a church and see something substantial or see nothing. Has the Father sent the Son? Think about how important it is to, to share with people that Jesus is the answer, that his righteousness is what saves us, and that it's not all about us. That that it's not my being a Christian is not about me being perfect. It's not about me having all the answers. It's about me being linked to the Savior and living out his righteousness. He takes my sin. That's the gospel. We have enormous freedom. But in the light of what people will see and the judgments that they have a right to render, how will we use that freedom? We're in an election year. Uh, Man, 2016 was crazy, wasn't it? 2020 is going to be crazier. Like, By the time the 2020 election is over and you're done talking about politics, will anyone still want to listen to you? Right? Many times people, people substitute their affiliation for the causes associated with either the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. They, they substitute the, the baggage that comes with the platform for their Christianity. And instead of be it highlighting Jesus, it highlights whatever issues that are important right now in the last 24 hours uh, news cycle. Now, I love my country. I'm proud to be an American. But you know what? Sometimes... Sometimes politics gets in the way of the gospel. And we don't even want to talk about what I believe about media conspiracies and keeping America divided and misinformation and social media. Let's, let's not go there. But I think it's a giant game. Anyway, what, how, what about our leisure time? What's important? Does what we do with our spare time prove that people are important or that something else is important? The way that we handle interruptions demonstrates whether or not we walk in wisdom. The way that we handle disappointments. Man, I'll tell you, let me just, I'm not perfect. The other night, uh, we were trying to figure out what we were going to eat, Nancy and I, and I called uh, this sushi place that I love, that I love. And I was like, hey, I'd like to place an order. And she's like, oh, we're not doing takeout tonight because the restaurant's so crowded. Maybe tomorrow. And I said, Not likely. <laughs> And I didn't hang up. I just hung there. And I was like, oh, let's just let it be awkward. You know, and when it was over, I was like, you are a creep. You know? No, I didn't say, this is Keith Meyer, Pastor of Harvest Baptist Church. Maybe you should come and worship with us on Sunday. I just, I just, she was like, oh, I'm really sorry. And, and, and that was it. You know? I don't know. I feel like I got to go find this person. It's like, I'm sorry. But are we are we do we, do we just do we do we patrol our behavior or do we just let our personality dominate ourselves? How about opinions? We all have opinions, right? Everyone's got them. Scarcity is what creates value, right? You know, you you share your opinion sparingly and on important things, or do you just have to offer your opinion about every last thing? And do your opinions come across as reasoned and convincing social media? If all anyone saw about your life was what they posted, what you post online, what would they think about you and about Jesus? This doesn't mean, like, all you can post on social media is scripture. It doesn't mean that that should be it. But but think, some people, I'm just like, what are you thinking posting this? Like, what is that? I do love snooze so-and-so for 30 days. This is a great function. Um, there are a lot of people who are asleep right now. We'll talk more about words next week, but but there there are... When, when you think about English, right? I remember starting to, to learn new system in Greek and my, uh, my professor said, there's only 5,400 words in Greek. And I was like, 5,400 words? Well, think about this. In um, the, the, the last shelf edition of the Oxford English Dictionary in 1989, there are 171,476 words in current use in English hundred and seventy-one thousand. And there's another like 50,000 words that nobody uses that we just need to keep in there so that we can be like, what does that mean? Um, there are 84 commonly used swear words. 29 of them are four-letter words. And I think about how some people talk. You know, does your language, does the... Does the use of a small subset of words dishonor the reputation of the Lord? Does it does it distance you from being able to share the truth? Now, the, the goal here is not to, to put out a bunch of rules that govern how we talk about politics or how we talk about opinions or we we have we have freedom in Christ. We have enormous, tremendous freedom. And we ought to, 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 to make sure that we don't use that as an opportunity to serve the flesh, as Paul says, but we also need to make sure that we're not just binding ourselves with a, a giant stack of rules that prevent us from ever saying or doing anything. What Paul is talking about here is he's saying, "Live a principled life. Figure out who you are and what you believe, and then live that out. First Corinthians 6:12, Paul says, "All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful." All things are lawful for me, he says, but I will not be dominated by anything. He repeats the not all things are helpful in 1 Corinthians 10, 23. And then he says, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. And so considering what it, what it means to be wise and how we live, I believe Paul would say, ask yourself, is this helpful? Is this, does this put you under Some form of domination? Does this build people up? How how does it affect you? So Paul says, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders and make the best use of the time. And I'm going to make the best use of my time. And I'm going to just kind of move through this. Paul is is talking about the fact that, that we need to walk not as unwise, as he says in uh, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, he says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, the, the older translations would, would u- translate this, that, that we're to, instead of make the best use of the time, redeem the time. Use the time for something valuable. The time that we have in life is short. We can't afford to waste it with foolishness now we're told that we're to rest one in seven days and that's good it's good to take some time and to to pull back and get some downtime because if we are constantly working and constantly engaged and we never rest and we never cool off and if we don't sleep that that leads to a lack of health but i believe we struggle with good use of time in general. People feel like they waste enormous amounts of time, or they look back at their life and they say, so much has passed, so much is gone, and did I use it wisely? I've, I've, I've been trying to think. I can't remember when when I, I shared this last, but it was a, it was a while ago. Uh, we were talking about... Um, Forgetting the past, this is when we were preaching through Philippians, forgetting what lies behind and looking towards the future. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said, it, what's, what's interesting is we tend to think of all of our time as being in the past, right? My life, my moments, my actions, my childhood, my family. The truth is that, that all the time that's available is in the future, right? I mean, the moments that we can actually live are in the future, the moments that you've spent already today are gone. They're in the past. And the present like, is happening right now the way it's, it's gone. All we have is the future. And so we can look back and say, oh, I didn't use my life wisely. But the truth is we have plenty of time left because you have as much time as you've got left. And you have the grace and love and power of God on your side. And so the question is, how are you using your time? What judgments are you making about it? And how are you shaping it and crafting the way that you're using your time? Maybe you're spending too much time with the wrong people. Maybe you're not spending enough time with the right people. Maybe you're stuck in an occupation that's just killing you and you need to make a change. Maybe a little bit of time. Spent in study of the word would make a dramatic difference if there's none going on in the present. But so often we feel like we are locked into a pattern, locked into certain behaviors. We're we're locked into place. Um, when I when I came and had lunch with Lee Hugert, who is interim pastor here, um, back in 2007, we were at TGI Fridays. I think it was. No, it was. Uh, is the Ruby Tuesday and uh, and there on the sugar packet, I picked up a sugar packet to put in my coffee and it said, uh, if you knew no fear, what would you do? And it's like, wow, if I could just, if I could take that restraint out of the way, if I could take all of the, the talk of what can't be done, and I say, I've got a limited amount of time left, and I want to make the best use of it, knowing God's love and care for me, what would I do with that time? What would you do with your time? Jesus tells parables about what we should do with our time. We're to take what he's entrusted to us and invest it, and to bring a return, right? Not to bury it in the ground because of rules or fear. We're to to use what we've been given so that when he appears, we can be rewarded and encouraged and told, enter into the joy of your master. We're to conduct ourselves with wisdom towards those who are on the outside, because when Jesus judges, he tells the people that he's judging. He says, I was naked and hungry and I needed shelter and you ignored me. And they're like, when did we see you? We didn't see you. He tells those who he rewards, he says, when you saw someone who was a stranger, when you when you saw someone who was sick and 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 you cared for them when you were in they were in prison and you visited them when when they were naked and you clothed them, when you did it to the least, you did it to me. And so it's incredibly important because of what God has done for us, because of the way he's cared for us, that we, we say, what is the best use of my time? What's the best use of my abilities? How do, I, how do I use them to support the truth and bring glory to God instead of just serving myself? And so the encouragement is to hold tight and walk in wisdom. I think that the answer, I think the answer to how to do this, and this is what we'll close with, is You've got to keep reminding yourself and firing up the affection of God in your life. You've, you've got to keep reflecting on the love of God. Now, as a kid, it was always like, this is a super easy answer. What's the answer to this question in Sunday school is the love of God. God loves me. You know, John three sixteen. God so loved the world. Like love was just like, okay, let's move on to something big, right? Love is the hard thing, isn't it? Love's tough. You got family, you know, love is tough. Not because family's bad, right? Because I have desires and family has desires. and You know, love is difficult. But when we, when we consider the love of God and we think that it never changes and what it overcomes and, and, and what, it, what, it, what it accomplishes in our life, it will change our thinking. It will transform the way that we live. I think Johnny Cash knew this. It wasn't perfect, not by a long shot. But he said this, you've got a way to keep me on your side. You give me cause for love that I can't hide. For you, I know I'd even try to turn the tide. Because you're mine, I walk the line. What what depth of love God has for us, the greatness of what he's done, what transformation or change should that be? bring let's consider that as we seek to walk in wisdom let's close in prayer father i thank you for your goodness and your kindness toward us we thank you for the truth of the gospel we thank you that jesus lived a righteousness and a perfect life that we could never attain and we thank you that you out of great love for us allowed him to go to the cross and to take our place, that we might look to him in faith and have our sins forgiven and have his righteousness given to us. We thank you for that, Lord. And we pray that in the light of that love and care and affection, that we would live lives characterized by wisdom, that we would speak and act in ways that support the truth of what you have done for us. We pray that we would keep this close to our heart, that we would, that we would seek to, to live in a way that honors our Savior. Lord, you're so good. You've given us so much and none of it is dependent on our behavior. It's all dependent on your grace. And so because you are kind, because you're good, because you've done amazing things for us, we pray that you would help us, encourage us to walk in wisdom that we might honor you in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing a closing song together.